bring him in tonight just to spur us up. I believe he's got a word for us. So, brother, come on. We love you. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, come on now. Now, I'm an audience participation preacher. Bless his holy name. Everybody doing good? Now, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's time to wake up because it's time for the word. Amen. I want to take a moment and thank pastor and the board and the elders of this church and, uh, of course, his lovely first lady for uh, giving me the opportunity. Can I hijack one of these stools? Is that cool? Um, for allowing me the opportunity to come and to break the bread of life with you guys tonight. As as Pastor said, my name is Christopher Miller. I'm one of the associate pastors at First Assembly of God in West Monroe, or as we are now called as The Assembly, and I'm one of the associate pastors there. But things have not always been as thus. I was originally raised in South Mississippi. I was raised Roman Catholic. In South Mississippi, you have to at least been Catholic or Baptist at least, at least once in your lifetime. Even if you were backslid and weren't going to church, you were Catholic or Baptist, one or the other. And so I was raised Roman Catholic and uh, came to Christ out of a substance abuse issue. I, wanted, I suffered an, a drug overdose in December of 2003, which subsequently brought me to my uh, radical reformation, if you will, in falling in love with Jesus. Three months later, I got full of the Holy Ghost and my entire family thought I had lost my mind. Because whenever you go from, 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 from speaking Latin in church, come on now, to Ebo Shai, they totally lose you there, okay? And so um, as I progressed forward in ministry and God began to open more and more doors for me, uh, he brought me to the great state of Louisiana seven years ago. Interestingly enough, I did not come as a staff member. I went to the assembly as an intern. And I was 24 years old, and my wife had just graduated college and had $40,000 worth of student loans. And I said, hey, babe, guess what? She said, what? I said, we're about to sell everything and move to another state. Well, I, well g- gentlemen, I'm sure y'all can understand what, kind of how that conversation went. It, it was a what and how do you intend on doing that and where did this come from, right? And so I came here as an intern and began to serve and, uh, and worked my way, and I progressed myself into a... Uh, an associate pastor position. I'd been a part-time youth pastor. I worked uh, pipelines, which is actually what paid for my substance abuse issue. Thank God for deliverance, right? And so um, I'm so excited to be here with you, with you guys tonight. My daddy always told me to never assume that anybody knows who you are, but, but, but before you speak to them, they need to know who's speaking to them, right? So I want you to turn me to the book of Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 1, the book of Mark, chapter 1, the book of Mark, chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. When I spoke with Pastor concerning what he had been preaching in the sermon series that he had been teaching here, it was the, the, the emphasis and focus on surviving, on surviving, surviving church, you know, uh, surviving marriage and so forth. So I wanted to play off of that because it is imperative that we come to the place to where we see the value of not only sur- surviving in the anointing, but thriving in the anointing. And the way that we go about doing that is learning from the life and the example of Christ Jesus to to see how this God-man was able to do just what He did. So I want you to look with me in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version this evening. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath He entered the synagogue and was teaching. 
And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. Now pay attention to that verse. He taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing within the man and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And all that were there, and, and they all marveled, and, and so that they, they, they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority, for he even commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came to her and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That the evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew who he was. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the next few minutes that we spend breaking the bread of life together tonight, Lord, I pray that you would add your blessing not only to the preaching of the word, but the hearing. God, that you would make it a sweet delight in our lives. Father, we, we thank you for the power and the authority of your word and what you will continue to do in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the, now, the central verses, if you will, for our time together tonight are two verses. Verse 22, which says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. The, the second verse is verse 27. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned amongst them themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. So notice within these two verses, it is recorded that Jesus not only taught with authority, He commanded with authority. He did not ask the, 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 the enemy's uh, 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 position as far as whether or not they would allow Him to do what He wanted to do. Jesus commanded and Jesus taught with absolute authority. Now notice in verse 22 that it says that he was not like the, the scribes. Now what does that mean? Having knowledge of the scriptures only. But rather Jesus, notice, had both intelligence and anointing. Now why is that so important? Because Paul commanded his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, that notice, and y'all know the text with me, study... To show thyself approved, being a workman of the word who, who cannot be put to shame, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now let's exegete that text for, for just a moment. 
Study what? The Word of God. To show yourself approved of what? To be a workman. A workman of what? A workman of the Word. Who can what? Not be put to shame. Why? Because he knows what he believes. Jesus had not only authority to teach, he had authority to command. And the Apostle Paul is trying to get Timothy to understand the principle that the anointing of God is great and the Holy Ghost will make you shout. But if you're not able to give an an intelligent response to your faith, then it is blind and therefore it is ineffective. If we look at church history, Timothy was in Crete. Timothy was in the hot seat of the intellectual movement within the Roman Empire. Timothy was not dealing with uneducated people. Timothy was dealing with philosophers and the well-educated men of his culture. And Paul says, listen, son, you need to study. And you need to show yourself approved as being a workman of the word who cannot be put to shame publicly. Why? Because Timothy, just like Paul, was challenging the men just as Paul did on Mars Hill. He was challenging the intellectual elite of his day. And Paul says, listen, son, if you don't study to show yourself approved, being a workman of the word, who cannot be publicly humiliated for being ignorant. That power comes by being able to rightly divide the word of truth. Because I know that you speak in tongues and prophesy, but here's the deal. If you lack the ability to give an account for your faith, then your faith is useless to your neighbor. Because your faith, though ignorant, only works for you. You had an experience, but you have no means to explain it. So Jesus is speaking in a synagogue. And he begins to teach. And to command with authority. And it blows their mind. A new teaching. See they think that it's a new teaching. It was not a new teaching. It was the, the teaching with the anointing. So they turn and say, man, this is a new teaching for he teaches with authority. He's not like the scribes who seem to know everything but have no power behind their knowledge. This man is different. And in the midst of his teaching with authority, a demon possessed man stands up in church and says, I know who you are. And Jesus immediately commands him to be silent. And the people are blown away, not only at his ability to teach with authority, but he speaks to a demon-possessed man, does not lay hands on him. He doesn't sling all everywhere. He doesn't run through the church with banners. He simply commands the evil spirit to leave and it's submitted. And the people turn and their minds are blown, not only at the fact that this man had authority to teach, but he had authority over darkness. And it totally blows their mind. Now, why is all of that important? I'm glad you asked. Bless the Holy Ghost. Because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, that we would do the exact same works. The exact same works. Pastor, I looked it up in the Greek, and it says that the exact same works. In John 14 and 12, I say unto you, 
Whoever believes in me, that, that's you and I, will do the works that I do, not did. Why did Jesus not say did? Because he's the I am. So his works are timeless. Genesis chapter 1, day 1, God does this. Day 2, He does this. Day day 3, He does this. Day 4, day 5, day 6, and on day 7, He rests. Hang out with me. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If I was to count to 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, now is now. If I was to count 10 seconds from now, 10 seconds from now would become now. Why? Because 10 seconds from now, I, I would cease to be now and I would begin to be now. Hang out with me. So if God is in day one doing this and day two doing this and day three doing this and four and five and six and on day seven he rests, hang out with me. I, I don't want to lose you. I'm going somewhere. The principle is, is that he said you shall do. Why did he say that? Because he's still on day one doing. Because for God to cease to be in something means that it no longer exists. You're going to get it about 3 a.m. in the morning. Holy Ghost is going to wake you up. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now, wait just a second. How can we do greater works than Jesus did? He multiplied loaves and fishes. He walked on water. He raised people from the dead. He healed everybody sick he came across. He literally reformed the eyes within a socket of a man's head. How can we do works greater than Jesus did? The context in the Greek is not that we do works bigger and greater than he did. It's the fact that his greatness is multiplied in us. So if I had the power to heal and you had the power to heal and you had the power to heal and you had the power to heal, Jesus' power becomes greater because it's multiplied in four people who can now perpetuate the healing in, into four other people. Are, are you with me? It is the power of multiplication. And Jesus says, listen, you will do things greater than I have done because I intend to multiply my power in you. And we sell ourselves short thinking, well, God can do that with a preacher, but He can't do it with me. Whoever, not the bishop, not the pastor, not the apostle, not the prophet, and not the teacher. It says, whoever, that's you. You will do exactly what he did and you shall do it greater. Why? Because he's going to the Father, but check it, his work is not finished. Hang out with me. Hang out with me. Bless his holy name. But we must understand that it is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that gives us power. But I want to parenthetically insert here that the Holy Ghost makes us powerful. It does not make us weird. Regrettably, we have people who think that, that to be Holy Ghost filled is to act like a Kellogg's box. Full of flakes and fruits and nuts. Hang out with me. Am I in the Word? I'm in the Word. The anointing of the Holy Spirit does not make us weird. It does not make us odd. And it does not make us strange. It makes us powerful. And there's a difference. Now, why do I bring that up? 
Because there is so much craziness active in the church now because we, we think that we have to act strange to validate the anointing in our life. And that's not true. Now, why do I bring that up? Because Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 has an engagement with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of the elite amongst the Pharisees that comes to Jesus. And one of the most famous texts in the entire Bible is found in that chapter because Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, We know that you could not do what you're doing had not God been with you. Now, who is the we that he's referring to? His cohort, the Pharisees. They recognized the fact that Jesus had authority. It wasn't just church folk in a church service watching him teach with power and cast out devils. The word got back to the religious elite of the day and they come to him in a night season and said, listen, we can't do this during the day because it would make things weird for us. But here's the deal. We recognize we realize, we know that you could not do what you're doing lest God not have been with you. You are doing this because God is with you. They recognized authority. Men of that stature will never associate themselves with weird people. They always associate themselves with authoritative people. Jesus was so anointed and so powerful and so authoritative that the Pharisees came to see him privately and the people of a destitute society couldn't help but have lunch with him. Why? Because he was an enigma. He was so powerful and authoritative that he could get the attention of the Roman Empire, that he could get the attention of Pharisees and Sadducees and, 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 and people of ill repute and tax collectors and people come knocking on his door and demon-possessed women get saved. And all of these things happened. Why? Because Jesus had the authority of the Holy Ghost. Not, not the wacko, fruity stuff of the Holy Ghost. That's not called Holy Ghost. That's called flesh. Now, how do I qualify that? Because speaking in tongues in Wendy's does not benefit nobody. And if you do that in a hospital, they might just lock you up and put you in one of them padded rooms that they got. Why? Because the authority of Jesus does not make us weird. It makes us powerful. It does not demand attention because we are strange. It demands attention to our lives because of what we can do. Whenever I got saved and full of the Holy Ghost, my family thought I had lost my mind. I had. Because you can't follow Jesus until you go insane. Well, that's why Paul said, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. you got to have a change in the way that you think. But what's amazing to me now are the very family members that thought I was crazy. Guess who they call when they're sick? Guess who they call whenever somebody's going to jail or a bill's come due or a cancer report comes in? Who do they call? Not their priest. Their crazy nephew preacher in North Louisiana believing God for a miracle. Why? Because the authority of the Holy Spirit did not make me weird. It made me authoritative. And it caused people, the religious and non-religious, the crazy and not crazy, the family, the friend, and even the foe, 
to find it intriguing because the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. It turns you into an enigma because nobody at that point can explain what happened in you apart from the Holy Ghost working it out in you. So Jesus tells us that we are going to do the exact... Okay. Yeah. So we are going to do the exact same things that He did. Now, why is all of that so important? Because He was in... Notice now, He was anointed and intelligent both to the simple and the intellectually elite at the exact same time. We have to be at the place to where we realize that speaking in tongues and prophesying is great for the church, but the world doesn't understand that. What they do understand is authority. What, what they do understand is power. Shouting and carrying on, hey, praise God, look, the, the staff at our church calls me Mr. Pentecost. There is nobody that loves Holy Ghost outpourings more than me. I mean, I will jump pews and swing chandeliers in the name of Jesus. I'm all about that. But at the same time, I, I fear that we, if we are not careful, we will make a fatal mistake of thinking that all we have to do is speak in tongues to impress people. But yet we speak in tongues that have no self-control. We shout and speak in tongues and then we don't tip our waiter on Sunday after we go to lunch. I know I'm meddling. But most waitresses and waiters hate working on Sunday because they don't like dealing with, with church crowds, interestingly enough. And so it's important for us to understand that God has called us to more. Say more. Now, with the text of Mark chapter 1 in mind, what are some things that we can learn from the way that Jesus flowed in the anointing and how we, we can learn to not only survive, but also thrive in and through the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Point number one tonight, and I pray you are taking notes. Having the Holy Spirit is not strictly relegated to gifts and fruit. Our spirit man should exude authority in every area of our life. I want to say that again. Having the Holy Spirit is not strictly relegated to us practicing in our gifts and demonstrating fruit. Our spirit man should exude authority in every single area of our life. No choice, no options, and no ifs or buts. I would like to draw your attention that authority, now check it, and I'm in the Word, authority is not one of the nine gifts, nor is it one of the nine fruits. Y'all with me tonight? Authority is more than just a shout and speaking in tongues. It's more than just laying hands on somebody. Authority is more than just having peace whenever you're dealing with, with somebody that you just don't want to have patience with. Y'all want to lay the five-fold ministry on them, and it is not for the sake of healing. Don't you lie in church. Jesus knows I'm telling the truth. Now, why is that so important? Because we all know Christians who have operated in gifts, but they have no authority to cast out devils. I get two honest amens and a couple of, I don't know where he's going with that. All right, you hang out with me. Speaking in tongues, prophecy, laying on of hands, the gift of faith, those are the gifts of God. Casting out devils re re requires the authority of God. 
And now with that said, why did Jesus silence the demon that manifested in the church? If you look at what the devil said, he was telling the truth. You are the Most High, Son of God. I know who you are. Imagine that. A devil was actually telling the truth in church. But why did Jesus silence him? If he's telling the truth, why make him hush? Jesus silenced the devil because he does not want demons to herald the coming of the Messiah. He does not find glory in the words of demonic powers. He wanted the Spirit of God to to begin to stir the souls of men, to bring them to a life-changing experience in Christ. He did not need devils echoing who he was because hell already knows who Jesus, the, the Son of God, was. Come on now. Demons cried out in fear, but the people began to cry out in praise. Now, how can I back up that statement? I'm glad you asked. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 40, and we're going to get into our word for a little while. Is that okay? Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, him being Jesus, If you will, you can make me clean. Being moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will. Notice the man did not say, if you can. The leper never questioned his authority. He he questioned the willingness of Jesus to use that authority. He did not say, if you can. He said, Lord, if you will, then do it. And Jesus responds, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses has commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now what does that have to do with with, with anything? Because Jesus did not want devils heralding who he was. He wanted the Holy Ghost stirring up the lives of men and women that he himself would, would touch and begin to see their lives radically changed. Jesus had the authority to silence devils, but listen, he could not prohibit the joy of men's souls from overflowing with gratitude and telling everyone what Jesus had done for them. Again, Jesus silenced devils from heralding the coming of the Messiah, but he could not force a leper to keep his miracle to himself. Why? Because Jesus could care less about devils talking about him. He wanted men and women who were changed to talk about what this Jesus could do for them. And I'm telling you, I know what it is to be a leper. I know what it is to have people cast you down and want to have nothing to do with you and calling you the ill repute of society. But I also know what happens when Jesus, the Son of God, lays His hands on you and begins to clean up the things in your life that no other man could heal. 
and He begins to set you free. You cannot keep that type of miracle to yourself. I could not be quiet about what God done for me. Why? Because when everybody else said that I was a mess, God said I can make a message out of that. Come on now. Allow me to further validate this point. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Now, now we're going to be turning in our Bibles tonight. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 37. Luke 19. Luke 19 records the, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. But specifically, I want us to pay very close attention beginning in verse 37. Everybody there? As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all of the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you the truth. If they were to be silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. Again, Jesus silenced devils from heralding the coming of, of the Messiah, but he could not force his own disciples to keep their testimony to themselves. Again, Jesus did not want a devil talking about him. He cared about what men whom engaged him would say about him. Now, how does all of that tie back to the point of authority? Gifts are monikers of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit within the life of, of believers, but they are not signs of authority. Now, people would argue with that with me theologically, but allow me to validate my point here. Just hang out with me for just a second. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verse 22. I have met many people who, who speak in tongues but have no self-control. I've met people that shout and, and carry on and, you know, and say that they're, they're Pentecostal, but they're flat ugly to folk. I get, I'm, I'm going to preach to this speaker over here. You would think that folks that knew the Holy Ghost and had the Holy Spirit in their life would be a whole lot better off than what they are. It amazes me because all of my Baptist brethren, they have all the fruit in the world. Peace and joy. And they ain't never spoken in tongues in their life. But you got a Pentecostal person who will speak in tongues and then cuss somebody out at Sonic in the parking lot for cutting them off. Why do I bring that up? Because we as Pentecostals put so much stock in the Holy Spirit being in our lives, but yet we lack the authority to control ourselves. Is this on? Everybody, everybody with me? Authority is about having control over oneself and control in the kingdom. But it's kind of hard to cast out a devil whenever you can't even control you. Come on now, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. 
But if we're going to not only survive, but thrive in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we have to understand that the Holy Ghost was not given to us just so we could shout and speak in tongues. The, the authority of the Holy Spirit was given to us for us to be able to exact His will of heaven into the earth. Now, how can I validate that? Because Jesus said, in this manner, pray that your will be done on earth as it is currently being done in heaven. How does Jesus in, intend for us to do that? By us exacting the authority of heaven and bringing that and pulling it into the earth. Now, how is that going to happen? Not, not from speaking in tongues. It's going to happen through authority. I know I keep bringing that up, but it's important that we understand that Jesus has called us to more than just Holy Ghost goosebumps. Come on now. Hang out with me. Some of y'all still going, I don't know where I don't know where he's going with all of this. Now I know that some of this, you know, that I've said thus far may seem slightly contradictory, but hang out with me. In Luke chapter 15, verses 23 verses 22 through 24, Jesus is is teaching the story about the prodigal son, and we all know that story very, very well. Whenever the whenever the prodigal son comes home, what happens? Beginning in verse 22, it says, But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly, now notice this, Bring to me quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For, for this my son was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, flow with me here. What were the things that were given? A robe, a ring, a pair of shoes, and a party. Three of these were gifts, and one was a sign of authority. Hang out with me. Whenever the son was sent away, the prodigal son came, comes to his father and says, Give me half of all that you owe me. I want, I want my inheritance. I'm leaving. Give me what you owe me. That's very arrogant, isn't it? But give me what, what you owe me, and I'm gone. The son goes and squanders everything. He comes back home. And the father is so excited, he puts a robe on him. He puts shoes on him. He throws a party. What, what is all of that? Those are all monikers of, of reconciliation because you don't celebrate somebody that you're mad at. You don't clothe them and put, and put shoes on their feet if, if you're mad at them. Those were actions of reconciliation. The restoration part of what he done was, was he called him son and he put a ring on his hand. Now, why is that so important? Because the father tells the son, I want to put you back in business. The, the signet ring, it's not like the economy is now where you got debit cards and credit cards. If you're going to exact large volume purchases, whenever you go to someone that, that you're buying from, the, the, the credit card of Jesus' day was the family seal in a ring. So whenever you went to buy something, they would pour wax on the paper and you would signet the agreement. Hang out with me. And many of us are robed and shooed and celebrated by our Father. But we have no authority to exact His business. We have gifts galore. But we've never stepped back into the restoration of the authority of heaven because we don't see the value of the ring. We think the Holy Ghost is just simply to make us bling. It's meant to cause us to do so much more than that. So there's a restoration 
of authority and there's and there's a reconciliation of gifts isn't it interesting that paul says and he led captivity captive and giving gifts unto men he restored man unto god and then gifted him authority and restoration the principle is paralleled all throughout the bible we've got to get back to the place to where we see the value in authority again the holy spirit is caused is is put in us so that we can have authority in every area of our life turn to your neighbor and say every every area not just some the holy matthew chapter 7 i'm going to step away from that for just a second matthew chapter 7 jesus is speaking to a crowd of people and he says if your son came to you and asked you for a fish would you give him a serpent well no if your son came to you and asked you for a loaf of bread would you in turn give him a stone no well if you being evil fathers jesus insults the whole crowd He says, if you being evil fathers know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more so shall your heavenly father give you, he being the good father. So he gave you the Holy Ghost. He gave you the ring of restoration of authority not to walk through town and go, hey, look at how holy I am. Shandai, shoot a mosquito, untie your bow tie. Are you with me? He put the ring on our hand, not just for the benefit of ourselves, but for the benefit of other people. Your authority is not about you. Authority is given to you to benefit other people. I'm I'm really going to mess with you. Your testimony has nothing to do with you. God gave you your testimony, sir, for the sake of impacting other people. The testimony that you have is nothing more than just a cliff notes point of what God knew was coming in your life and seemed to divert you at the last moment. And there are people dying right now because we are not sharing the testimony about what Jesus, the Son of God, has done for us. Our testimony is not for us. Our testimony are for those that are hurting. Jesus said, or David said, Though as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. But regrettably, many of us stop in the valley and build a house. I don't want to die in the valley. He said, yea, as I go through. But many of us say, well, hey, we done, I'm going to stop building a house and die there. That is not the will of God. And so many of us, just like the prodigal son, we enjoy the robe and we enjoy the shoes and we enjoy the parties, but we forget there's a ring on our hand. We forget that there's authority in our lives. We forget what the Holy Ghost was given to us for. Whenever I go out and do, and do street ministry, I don't do like what I'm doing in here. My whole presentation is different. Why? Because like Paul, I strive to become all things to all men that I might win them unto Christ. And we've got to have more than just a religious church service. We've got to have more than what we have now. Now you're flowing with me. Bless His holy name.
Point number two, and that leads me into my next point. Having the Holy Spirit does not demand theatrics. It demands follow-through. It demands follow-through. I want you to notice with me in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Mark 1, verses 12 and 13. Everybody doing good? Bless His holy name. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, this is a a record of the temptation of Jesus. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were, were ministering unto him. Now, why is all of that so important? Because in light of the text found in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we discover that Jesus responded the way he did to a group of demon-possessed people, specifically that man in church, who declared who he, Jesus, was. Jesus did not need the engagement of demons because he had already had the ministry of angels. Hang out with me. Jesus did not need the accolades of a demon-possessed man in church to validate his identity. Because on the backside of what he went through in the desert, there was nothing theatrical about that. There, there was no shout and and, and, and sling and all, there was no lights and sound show. There was no Hammond B3 organ in the background. There was none of that. There was no theatrics to what Jesus went to for 40 days. But on the other side of his follow-through, he found provision. Having the Holy Spirit does not demand of our lives to be theatrical. It demands for us to, to see the value in follow-through. Notice that Jesus followed through in his conflict with temptation and found provision on the other side because provision is always waiting on the other side of our follow-through to do what Jesus originally told us to do to begin with. Now, why is any of that important? Another great story that that parallels this principle is found in John chapter 4, verse 27. I want you to turn there with me. Now, I know that some of y'all are like, man, why is he using so many scriptures? Because regrettably, most pastors in this country now preach a 45-minute message on one verse. And I like the Word. I don't come to church for an appetizer in Jesus' name. I want a four-course meal including some bread and coffee. All right. So John chapter 4, beginning in verse 27, John 4 and 27, we're going to be reading through verse 38. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that, that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, who do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man, now notice this, who told me everything I ever did. Now how many of y'all would leave church and go declare that? Come to church to where the preacher knows everything about you. But this woman has had had a miracle and she doesn't care what everybody thinks about her because she's already had five husbands and the one that she's living with now isn't hers. And she was coming to, to the well at midday to keep away from the gossip ring. Apparently this woman had nothing else to hide. So she goes back into town telling everybody to come and meet the man who has told me everything about me that I've ever done. And they went out of town, and they came unto him, being Jesus. And meanwhile, the, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, you need to eat. But, but he said to them, I have food to eat 
that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, Now notice this, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. Pause. Verse 34. My food is to do the will of God, the will of him who sent me and to accomplish it. But regrettably, so many of us are doing and doing and doing, but never accomplishing anything. The disciples come back and they're like, man, when we left, you were hungry. We come back and you're talking to some woman. All of a sudden, she drops everything that she has in her hands and bolts. The people are coming back and the, rap, and, and the, and the, the, and the, the disciples look at Jesus and they're like, wait a second. We walked all that way to get you a Big Mac and you ain't going to eat this Big Mac, Jesus? You need to eat the Big Mac, Jesus. Now, if you go to Israel, you, you will never get meat and cheese on the same hamburger. Okay? It's not, it's not kosher. But then they turn and he's like, I have food to eat that you know not of. And they're like, is this joker hiding granola bars in his pocket or what's the deal? Who brought him something to eat? And then he flips it and he says, listen, what you need to understand is this. My provision is found. In me doing the will of him that sent me. Now notice, but not just doing the work, but finishing it. My provision is found not just in doing, but also in accomplishing. In finishing, in doing something. More than just doing. Many of us are like Mary. Some of us are like Martha. Some of us need to learn the value of quit doing and chill. Selah. Because running around and doing all the time sometimes never accomplishes anything. Sometimes it takes the Holy Ghost. So Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand that the greatest form of provision in their life that they would ever receive is not going and buying food and it's not building a great church. The greatest form of provision that they would ever find was seeing the value and not only doing the will of God but actually accomplishing something while they're doing it. Are y'all with me? All right. So now, move, now progressing forward with this, too many of us get, get, get caught in that. Now, now people would say, well, you know, I just don't like, you know, having to push through. You know, I don't like the follow through part. I mean, why can't I just live off of the theatrics of church? Now, why do people get, get in that point? Because reading your Bible is not always a booming voice experience. Listen unto me. By and large, you will never have that experience. We love to come to church and shandai, bless the Lord, throw all everywhere, eboshai, slap your neighbor in the head, poke them in the eye, and, and then tell them that we walk by, by faith and not by sight. <laughs> we love theatrics of church. But our lives fail daily because we don't see the value in follow through. Because daily prayer is not theatrical. And reading our Bible is not theatrical. And doing Christian service is not demonstrative. And angels don't fly out of the heavens and herald the fact that you've done something for Jesus today. Because what we have been called to do is building a faith on follow-through and not building a faith on, on theatrics. Now, how is that biblical? Because the nation of Israel saw God smite an entire nation with 
with, with multiple plagues. He parts an ocean. They, they leave that nation ultra wealthy. He causes their, their clothes and even their shoes to not fall apart. He does all types of miracles for them, dropping food out of heaven, making bitter waters sweet. And on the backside of all of that, all of God's theatrics never kept them from building a golden calf. I have heard people say, man, if I ever saw the Red Sea stand up like that, I would have never built a golden calf. Well, then why do you still commit adultery on your wife and yet you come to church every Sunday? Because we seek to build a fortified faith strictly based off of our experiences and we don't see the value in following through in daily prayer and supplication in reading our Bible and our faith fails us because it is built on lights and sounds and booming noises and it is not built on, on the faith of the Son of God. The Holy Spirit does not demand of us to, to live a life of theatrics. It demands of us to follow through. But the follow-through is not always fun. But the follow-through is necessary if you intend to get provision in your life. Jesus followed through the 40 days and angels were waiting on Him. And many of you, your miracle is just on the other side of your obedience. You've been struggling for 25 years financially and you say that you can't afford to tithe and the issue in your life is that your finances are cursed. And me bringing that up does, does not give, give me an offering here. I'm a pastor. I understand how that works. It's important for us to understand that things in our life are falling apart because we are not following through on our end to see the miracle of heaven interact with our issue. Many of us have illnesses in our bodies that we have never given to God and our healing is just on the other side of our follow through. It's kind of like the old picture that I've seen on Facebook about the man who, who is mining underground and he quits one foot away from the golden nugget. What happened? He was excited as long as he was theatrical, but whenever the, the theatrics went away, the follow-through became tedious. And he lost out. So it's important that, that we understand that the same human condition that, that the Israelites suffered with, we suffer with as well. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. I love Holy Ghost services. I mean, I love Holy Ghost services. But if we intend to be applicable in our day and age, especially with, with what I and Pastor both feel in the spirit of, of a revival getting ready to sweep this country, it is not going to be stabilized by theatrics. It is going to be stabilized by the people of God following through on what they're praying for. Because what happens whenever the homosexual gets convicted and comes to church? Many of us pray for revival, but we don't understand that revival demands sacrifice from us because it, it is going to make us engage with people that we don't like, have to do things that we don't enjoy, go into places that we don't want to go. Why? We've got to realize that theatrics does not build faith. Our follow-through, our daily follow-through is what builds a lasting faith in the kingdom of heaven. And lastly, say, say, praise the Lord, he's landed. 
Having the Holy Spirit does not demand praise from people. It beckons the approval of heaven. Having the Holy Spirit does not demand praise from people. It beckons the approval of heaven. Notice with me in Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Mark 1, verses 9 through 11. And I'm coming to a close. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now hang out with me. Jesus did not need the exaltation of hell, which which was found in Mark chapter 1 verse 24, because he had already had the approval of heaven in verse 11. I'm going to say it again. Jesus did not need the exaltation of hell, found in verse 24, whenever the demon recognized who he was. Why did Jesus not need that? Because his father had already said, I'm proud of you. And there are so many men in the church, and men, I'm going to speak to you. There are so many men in the church right now that have the power of God in their life to change the world. And what is holding you up is that your father never affirmed you as a man. I'm going to deal with it. Because my father was extremely hard. And his father was extremely hard. And his father was extremely hard. And the problem is, is that for generations, we strove as men to be so hard and, and, and to be so strong that the ones that we say we, we love, we abuse. Jesus comes out of the water. And the first thing that the Lord says about him, the Father says about him, is, he says, that's my boy. I'm proud of and many of you need to hear that from a man in your life to say, I'm proud of you. You've done a great job. God's got big plans for you. I want to affirm you in your masculinity. There's nothing wrong with being strong and being authoritative and being pro-Second Amendment. Bless the Holy Ghost. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says that a man that is not willing to take care of his family is worse off than an infidel, an unbeliever, a dog. But to be powerful and to be authoritative means that you have authority over your emotions to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Not abuse her. Because Jesus doesn't abuse the church. We have no excuse to abuse our wives. Jesus did not need the affirmation of anybody else. Why? Because his daddy said, I'm proud of you. Men are starved for affirmation. Women are starved for attention. Their man cannot give them the attention they need because the man was never affirmed in who he was and what he was doing. Jesus did not have to pat himself on the back because a demon he knew he was. 
many of us need deliverance from ourselves to get to the place to, for us to understand that we don't need the praise of people because at the point of salvation, Jesus affirmed the fact that, that he saw great value in you. Now, many of y'all might have come to church with enough baggage to, to outfit an American airline transit, but no matter. He still saw value in you. The simple fact that the Holy Spirit moved upon you to bring you to the point of salvation is exemplary enough to annotate the fact that he approved of you. And Jesus did not need the affirmation of darkness because he already had the affirmation of his Father. And like Christ, we should refuse to validate our purpose due to our authority over darkness, but rather to exalt the fact that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And this, and this is my last verse. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. Luke 10, verse 17. In the book of Luke, chapter 10, it annotates the story about the 70 disciples being sent out two by two. He gives them power to go and do all types of miracles in his name, and that's exactly what, what they go and do. In verse 17, forgive me for just a second. In verse 17, it says that, that the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, now check this out. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. Now, now that is a Pentecostal verse. We love that verse. I'm going to tread ha, upon the lion and the scorpion and all things of the enemy. We love that verse. I mean, we will throw our Bible across the sanctuary over that verse. But that's not all he said. In verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in these things. That the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. What is Jesus doing? Come here, walk, walk with me. Put your Bible down. So his disciples come back. I'm going to hold your arm. His disciples come back, and Jesus is union with them. Because he could not do what he did without being yoked to Christ. Okay? So Christ sends the, 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 the disciple out to use power in his name to work miracles. So he goes. He comes back and he is beside himself. You will not believe what we did. You should have seen it, Jesus. It was incredible. Demons cast out, healing the sick, folks rising from the dead. Now, what does that sound like? Revival. It's exactly what we're praying for right now. God visit our nation and awaken the power of the Holy, Holy Spirit within the church and all of these things that we're praying. And Jesus is like, hey, man, that's awesome. Did you know that I actually saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning? And I'm going to tell you something. You are going to tread upon the lion and the scorpion and, and, and the serpent and all of the power of the enemy and nothing's going to hurt you. That will make you want to jump over a troop and climb a wall. But Jesus says, but wait just a second. I know you're excited. And I'm not denying what, what you did, man. That's awesome. I know you're excited, but here's the deal. 
I don't want you to build your identity in what you can do. I want your identity to be in me. So I know that you have authority. I know that you've seen God do amazing things through you. But don't make the mistake of rejoicing in that. The bigger point of reference is not the fact that you can cast out devils and work miracles. The greater miracle in all of this is that I wrote your name down. I wrote your name down. So as he walks and as you walk, thank you, brother. As you walk through life, and you're going to see God do incredible things. It's very easy for us to build our testimony off of that. I cast out devils and help the sick and raise the dead and glory. We can get all excited about verses 17 through through 19. But we forget that Jesus stops and he says, listen, I know that you're excited about revival. And I know that you've seen God do amazing things. And I want to tell you something. God's not done yet. But don't ever make the mistake of thinking that, that the miracles that you can perform is greater than the miracle I performed in you. Don't fall into that trap, son. Listen to me. If you make that mistake, you will fall into the sin of Satan thinking that you are the source of power rather than being a conduit of it. So last point. Last point tonight. Trying to find where I can tie all this together. Holy Ghost, come on. For me personally, and this is just over years of ministry now, I, I've, I've seen the post on Facebook and the t-shirts and stuff, and it's like, you know, something some, some to the effect of, you know, whenever, whenever my feet hit the floor, I want the devil to go, oh, Jesus, she's up again, or he's up again. And I understand what we mean by saying that, but let me pose a thought to you. With that verse in mind, we should care less about what hell knows about us. I could care less about my name being echoed in the catacombs of hell because I'll never go there. What I do care about, what I do care about, is the fact that my name is written up there. And that everything I do is not of me, it's of him. Paul said that in and of myself, there is no good thing. The only good thing about me is Christ. I desire to know nothing more than Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, healed people, walked in miracles and all of that, but he still said, I desire to know nothing more than Him. So many of you, have come here tonight with all kinds of stuff. And I intend to pray. If I can have the sister that plays the piano, can you come help me out here just a second? You can close your Bibles. And I broke your, your cover, brother. I stomped it. I didn't mean to do that. I just got excited. Many of you would say to me tonight, Pastor, I... I hear what you're saying and, you know, I have the Holy Ghost and, you know, I have gifts and God's flowed through my life for years, but I want a greater level of authority. 
I don't want to just be pacified with church as usual. I don't want to just go about through life as normal. I want to have authority. Tonight is your night. Some of you would say, well, you know, I have depended on my experiences in church and the theatrics of religion to build my faith. And I have made the fatal mistake of seeing, of not seeing the value of following through in my daily walk with Christ in prayer and in reading of His Word. If that's you, when I open these altars, I want you to come. And many of you would say tonight, Pastor, I have fallen into the trap of praises of men. And I've tried to impress everybody else rather than resting in the fact that my daddy God has already approved of me. And I want to step out of that. So there's three groups of people tonight that I want to pray for. So in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to open these altars and I'm going to pray. But before we, we transition to that, I want to tell you two quick stories. The night of the Passover, Jesus has the Passover Seder supper and then he sets down and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter rebukes him and says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. I don't want you to wash my feet. And Jesus rebukes him back and says, listen, if you don't let me do this, you can have no part of me. Why did Jesus respond to Peter that way? Very simple. Men, if you're not willing to let Jesus clean the dirtiest places of your life, he will not let you have part with him. A house 98% clean is still 2% unclean. A little leaven goes throughout the whole lump. And we need to let Christ lay his hands upon the areas of our life that are unclean and dirty and that we don't want anybody else to know about. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he could care less what our feet look like. He still wants to wash them. And for the women, a woman's caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus has a crazy moment. He's doodling in the dirt. And people have said that Jesus was writing the names of all the men that committed adultery with her. And we don't know what he was writing. But I would like to suggest to you that it's this. He responds to the men and they leave oldest to the youngest. And the woman is laying there on the ground. And Jesus responds to her and says, woman, where art thou accusing? She lifts up her head and she says, there are none, Lord. And then Jesus responds and says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now why was Jesus doodling in the dirt? If I could suggest to you this. If we will allow Jesus to put his hands in the dirtiest places of our lives. He can begin to write us a new story. And if you'd have told me 13 years ago that I would be a pastor and I'd be a preacher and I'd be a husband and a daddy of a, two, of a two-year-old little boy who was a miracle baby we were not even supposed to have and God literally recreated my wife's womb to cause her to be able to have fruit. I'm telling you, I've seen God do amazing things in 13 years. Why? Because I let Him clean the dirtiest places of my life. I quit trying to act like I didn't have a problem. And I became vulnerable with Jesus and I let him engage the areas of my life that I had suppressed but I had not addressed. So many of us have built our faith on theatrics and we need to shift that to a follow through. 
Many of us have gifts, but we need to step into that place of authority. Many of us have made the mistake of thinking that we could build ourselves off of the praises of men and to impress people. And we need to come to the place to realize that our Heavenly Father calls us son. He calls us daughter. We are not half-children. We are blood-bought children. We were grafted into the true vine that Jesus has a destiny and a destination for us in this life. And I don't care how you got here, you were not a mistake. I want to pray for you tonight and I want to ask pastor if you'll come and stand with me is it okay if I take this oil now now we may be oilless by the time we leave but we're going to pray 